with that, we welcome you back once again to another episode of the One Giant Podcast with myself, Adam Arnbrecht. And over there, a healthy, wealthy, prosperous, and wise Andy Makowitz. I'm doing good, but I'm not as good as you, Adam. Look at that shirt that you are is that a is that a jacket is it a sweater what are we working with today buddy this lovely item for those of you watching on sportscaster uh this lovely item comes to you by way of my 11 year old self you ever remember when you were growing up how your you had a favorite sports team and your parents wanted to get you the thing but they, they don't come in the right sizes so you go ahead and end up being gifted what feels like a triple xl as a young boy this thing has lived in a closet for over a decade, and I only just recently pulled it out. And my first thought was, oh, this thing's never going to fit me. I, I'm going to have to get rid of it. Slipped it on like that old friend, you know, a warm blanket wrapped around my body. This is, the this by the way, this is the symbol of, of the turnaround this season. Well, you know, what's funny, Adam, for, for anyone that's not watching on Sportscast or listening on the podcast – what oh, should I describe Adam, what it was? What, what Adam, what Adam is wearing, is you know, picture. It is so old school and so retro that it has the word "giant" right across the chest. And picture either Bill Belichick, New York Giants, or Bill Parcells, yeah. New York Giants, standing on the sideline. Anytime between 1985 and 1992 is what it kind of feels like. That's right. And you know what? That's where this team needs to be a little bit, a little bit more old school. Get that good old fashioned feeling. And I think, hey, listen, under Joe Judge, I think we can have that. One other little note here before we really dive in, man. We uh, last time we were on and we're still going to be launching the uh, the featured vodcast as it's known over on Sportscaster. But guess what, man? I went into the big wigs. Pandemic be damned. I, I said, listen, I don't care about the policies. I went into the corporations. I went right up to the, let's say, 90th floor. And I got in, I got in Nick uh, Shootback's face. I got right up in there. And I said, listen, buddy, we're a brand. We don't just drop letters and swap them out willy-nilly. We're staying with podcast. I put my foot down about it. So don't even worry about it, friends. We remain the OGP, same as we ever were. Are you still I, down uh, with OGP? You know me. There listen, and I'm not going to uh, gild the lily and just say that Nick let us know. We don't have to do that. We're not going to force the change. Anywho, let's dive in on some news and notes. This is, our, of course, our midweek update where we uh, just try to give you a little bit of taste of what's going on around all things Big Blue. And I thought, what a fun way to kick it off, Andy, by asking you the question. Do you know what happened in Giants history on this very day? I do not. Well, friend, if you go back the year, and this is surprising because you should be familiar, the year was 1934, uh, the, one, of the, one of the most familiar and recent years in Andy's memory. This is where the uh, New York Giants, September 23rd, 1934, lost for their first game of the season to the Detroit Lions, losing nine to nothing in what was just a, a real raucous back and forth. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a tough one. However, in that season... The Giants went on to in the championship on December 9th against this undefeated Chicago Bears at nine and five. So they turned this bad boy around after losing the first two games of that season. They won five in a row, lost to Chicago on November 4th that year in a 27 to seven blowout loss. Flipped the script 30 to 13, 1934 champion Giants. This obviously uh, comes before some of the mergers took place. Pretty big deal in Giants lore, my friend. Ah, uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday, Adam. 
you know, what a great day in my history. It feels you, like it was just many decades ago. You know what? You know what's funny is, as you said, do you know what happened in our history? I went so short term that I was like, oh wait, after week two last year, didn't Daniel Jones replace Eli Manning as the starting quarterback of the New York Giants? I, I was going to go short term. You brought it back about eighty something years. Instead. Yeah, and listen, friends, if you don't want to feel weird or or awkward about the stat lines. I didn't realize back in the 1930s, uh, the the quarterback was essentially the tailback. The passing game was not strong, and you're looking at guys that were were running for 2.2 yards per carry and had completion percentage in like the mid to low 40s. So, listen, the glitz and the glamour may not have been there back then, but nevertheless, we hang our hat, friends, on a 1934 championship pre full NFL merger. All right, love it. Cut the cut the cut the crap here, Andy. Pay attention. As we know, officially, we talked about it on the last episode. Unfortunately, Saquon Barkley goes down with that injury officially placed on IR. So his year has come to an end. Now, I will say, man, uh, there was some just talk about it. These are footnotes. Joe Judge ran right out there and helped Barkley get off the field. He downplayed that as, as I think it should be. He's just helping get an enormous body off the field when he's dealing with an injury. But Barkley immediately posted up uh, when... Joe Judge made the comment in the postgame, going to be a hell of a story when you're talking about Saquon Barkley coming back from this injury. That's exactly what Barkley posted up on social media. So uh, listen, whether it's just the right thing in the short term, at least Joe Judge is is putting all that support behind Barkley as he's going to have to take on a very difficult recovery process. And we know that now there's also the the, the move in conjunction that should be finalizing sometime this morning. Yeah, and and the you know the the footnote on on the Saquon injury is is twofold. One is, you know, right after the injury happened, emotions are raw. Saquon deletes all of his uh, Instagram, all of his social media, except for one post about Kobe Bryant, um, and kind of removed all the different things he had about the New York Giants. And so people were like, "Uh oh, is there something happening here? It, you know, what what's the situation?" And then you also have, you know, the second part of it is you have giant fans that are already a little bit dancing on the body and asking the question like, well, he's coming off an injury next year. Are we signing him to a contract? What's going to happen? And all of a sudden this is kind of spiraling out of control when really what we should be thinking about is, all right, Barkley, you know, had a, a serious injury. Let's hope that he gets healthy. Let's hope that he comes back looking like the same type of player. And then let's worry about that contract next year because there's literally nothing that's going to happen between now and next offseason that's going to change any of that. Well, as you and I have said, and I think I've said it about uh, Doug over on our, our Nets podcast too, like when a player goes down with an injury, every year that I get older for some, I, I just, I'm like, oh my God, I hope this kid's okay. You know, I, I like, I hope that this guy's going to be all right. Like that's always the first thought that I have. And I hope that he comes back next year. And, and one of the other elements of this is they said because of how severe, not just the ACL, but other um, additional minor injuries. You don't you can you almost call them at this point. They're going to have to wait a handful of weeks before you can get in for surgery. So the recovery process, you could see this go into the start of next season as far as when you expect him to get back out on the field. But listen, that, that's what I want to see. I want to see Barkley back on the field next year. And you can worry about all those other conversations afterwards. I think that the most important thing just from a, we'll call it a human perspective is, is this guy all right? Is he physically going to be able to play football at a high level again? And then there are some good examples in more recent memory of guys who have come back fairly successfully in the NFL from that, especially the running back position. Even Frank Gore, a completely different type of guy, but he dealt with it and is still being productive at 63, I think he is now in the league. 
the other piece, right? The other piece here is where the Giants go in order to replace that productivity and, and obviously create balance in that backfield. It was speculated earlier in the week, should get finalized uh, this morning at some point. Who's the man that the Giants are bringing in to hopefully replace some of that production from Saquon Barkley? Yeah, so it's it's reported this morning that Devonta Freeman uh, has signed with the New York Giants. One-year deal, $3 million to, to bring him on board. Um, you know, Keep in mind, he's 28 years old. He's played his entire career for the Atlanta Falcons. You know, there were some injury concerns um, throughout his career um, with the Atlanta Falcons. Some of them what was a hamstring. Some of them was, uh, I believe, a knee injury that robbed him almost all of 2018. Uh, but this is a guy that found the end zone uh, relatively consistently. You know, he had 32 rushing touchdowns uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, had a couple of thousand yard seasons, you know, one uh, almost 900 yards. He is a veteran back. He has shown the ability to work well in the pass blocking game, which is uh, you know a challenge that we saw Saquon Barkley have. Uh, overall, four point two yards a carry in his career. Guy's a consummate pro. I, I don't know, Adam. What are your thoughts about the signing? Well, I mean, listen. You know, especially when you look at the running back. Obviously, the certain players get old quicker, right? We know that the window for a running back is relatively small. I just mentioned a guy like Frank Gore. Now there, there's certain types of backs that because their style of play, it's not like Frank Gore was ever a burner. So he's not going to lose some of those things that he values as a younger player as he moves into his later twenties and into his thirties now. So I wonder what Freeman has in the tank because no one looked to bring him in over the course of this offseason. We know that he dealt with an injury. It's easier to look younger and go another direction at the running back position. So I think you had to be looking for a team that, unfortunately, like the Giants, dealt with an injury in order to create the opening. The interesting thing is that I know Freeman, he said that he actually took less money to come to the Giants. Now that's predicated on the fact that there's a real opportunity here to claim a starting role, a significant role in this offense. So I think that's what he was waiting for. So there's potential that other teams were offering him an opportunity and maybe at a bigger dollar value, but it could have been, which is, which is really interesting. And maybe this plays into what Freeman's hoping long-term for himself. This could have been, Hey, maybe a championship caliber team is looking to give you four or 5 million for, for the season, but you're going to be in a 15% kind of role here you may get the chance to really showcase that you still have a lot left. And then going into next off season, he may be able to get a market created for himself somewhere in the league. So I hope that that's the case. He, he was productive pre-injury last, I think season that he had in Atlanta down to just three and a half yards per carry. So it, it, you know, you go back just the year prior though, and he did have a nice four and a half plus carry average. So was it a fluke, right? Was it really the downturn for him or was it just a bit of a fluke season We'll find out, and we'll find out pretty quickly. I, I like that he brings an overall value, right? He does it in, in multiple phases of the game for you, and that's important as well because I don't know how confident I would have been saying I want Lewis to be the starter and have Gallman supplementing him or even vice versa just because we know Gallman isn't necessarily the strongest pass catcher out of the backfield. Well, there's a couple things to unpack there. The first one is uh, – the. The comment about taking less money to, to sign with the New York Giants, that was sent out by Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, right. who might have ulterior motives, so to speak, to say like, no, 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 he could have gotten like $100 million, but he really wanted to be 
a New York football yeah. giant, right? Like I'm still a great agent. Don't worry about anything else. Like I could have gotten him way more money. This was his choice, right? So take but that. This happened a number of times with 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 Rosen now, uh, right? Like there's been a couple of times where like it, the players, it, it seems like he's ha- he's gotten pushed back from his own players, his own you know clients about being like, hey, I want to sign somewhere. Stop. Like I don't need you know, I'm not. Uh, what do you have, Bryce Harper? Right, I'm not Bryce Harper here. Like, I just want to be playing playing somewhere. Stop messing around and demanding these these oversized, overblown contracts. Yeah, and so you know, I kind of take that with a grain of salt. I do think this presents a great opportunity for Devonta Freeman. You know, he visited the Philadelphia Eagles last week, didn't sign with them, couldn't get a deal done. I think a lot of it did have to do with how much playing time he was going to get, and he's probably looking for the one more contract. You know, a little bit of more security. You know, with with uh, with Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, they, they have a, a pretty crowded backfield. How much playing time was he going to get? Now he steps in and presumably fills that role where he can have 12 to 15 touches, you know, if he's in shape. My big concern is, you know, you talk about 2018. He had 4.9 yards, yards of carry. Only played two games that year because of injury. You know, post-injury comes back in 2019. Plays almost a full, you know, plays 14 games and only has 3.6 yards per carry. So the question is more about, you know, was that kind of a one-off? Were the Atlanta Falcons just not great uh, on the offensive line? Was there other issues around it? You know, now that he's had a little bit of time and and he's been able to work out on his own, can he get back to where he is? You know, for me, Adam, this really just asks the question of what what do the Giants think of Wayne Gallman? Because, you know, they, they tout him in camp. We let go of Javon Leak who we drafted or, you know, who we brought in, um, you know, and thinking that he could play a role in this offense. They loved what they saw from Wayne Gallman. Now this opportunity presents itself for him to be the lead back, maybe bring in another guy that's developmental. And instead they go to the veteran, you know, paying him $3 million to be able to step in right away and play. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I look at it from two sides. I think that he had to have shown enough, obviously, because they they kept him, right? And when you're a holdover from a previous regime, uh, certainly coaching staff, you know, you can say, hey, listen, we just want to bring in some different guys. So he, he makes it over that way. Now, we know just last week he was inactive, a healthy scratch for the game. So they only went with the two running backs and then ended up with just Lewis following the injury to Barkley. On the one hand... You can look at it and say, boy, maybe they're not that high on him. Maybe they don't, they don't plan on using him that much. I, I tend to look on the side of we're bringing in a veteran guy because we think if he's a little bit better than what we saw last time he was on the field, we have a nice contributor. And we can allow, if it ends up being Wayne Gallman, say Wayne Gallman bubbles to the top because he's able to run through the tackles effectively and get some tough yards and be physical. It's okay if he ends up taking that lead role. You mentioned about like about bringing on a developmental guy. I think it's easier to do that if it's not Lewis that effectively represents your number one on the depth chart coming into week number three because he's not a true lead back. So if you had a little bit more of a known quantity. Oh, by the way, I'll say like, if say you had a Frank Gore as your lead back following an injury like that, you'd feel more comfortable maybe saying, and then we have Gallman and then we're going to bring back leak. We're going to bring in a prospect guy that we think, you know, can have an opportunity to have an impact in this offense because you know, Gore is going to go between the tackles, get you consistent yardage. So I think it's a combination of those things, wanting to make sure that essentially out of now these three guys, 
we've got the assimilation of a running back and we can use them as we need to passing down, et cetera. So that's probably, I want to lean that way because I want to feel like Gallman still has a chance. Remember just 25 years old, he's had some injury issues, but, but when healthy and went on the field, he has looked good for us. And I, and I still think even with Freeman and, and with Lewis there, Gallman still represents the most physical running back that we're going to have. The guy that I think could still see some short yardage opportunities here. And obviously it's going to spell itself out as we get into, into week three. And because Freeman is just coming in on a Wednesday, they said it's possible for him to sign, get in, and maybe even play on Sunday. You're at least going to have Gallman there, though. They're at least going to run out there with the three running backs just to be sure. You never know. Freeman steps on the field and tweaks something. And Gallman is going to get an opportunity to say, hey, brought in a new guy. We have Lewis, but I did enough here in week three that I deserve a role going forward now with this new backfield. So I, I hope that that's the case for Gallman because I – I have a soft spot for him, I guess, <laughs> you know. Well, footnote, Adam, uh, with the signing, once it becomes official, I, I need to give credit where credit's due. I'll, I'll uh, We'll make sure to tweet this out afterwards. But what I saw on Twitter is uh, once this signing is official, the New York Giants will have the second highest cap hit for running backs in the entire league. Is that is that where is that where you want to spend your money? Is that where you probably don't want to be on the top of the list in terms of most expensive running back room? I call it, it's what I refer to as not ideal, uh, but you know, obviously you paid a little bit of, you know, extra money to get, to bring Lewis, you know, to bring Lewis in, to make sure you had a pass blocker, as we know, Barkley, the, the questions in the off season. And now with his injury, it makes it look that much more glaring. Uh, well, I, I know, but let's talk about another expensive group that we have. Right. Here. Um, that would be our wide receiving core. Um, sure. We have given money to Golden Tate and free agency, and we re-signed one of our own, Sterling Shepard, to a, a larger contract recently as well. That is um, we may need to sign another wide receiver, and why is that, Adam? Unfortunately, at least coming into this week number three, as we know, it gets swept under the rug because of what happened with Barkley, but... Sterling Shepard has that toe injury in week number two. And we said it on Monday that toe injuries usually cost a couple of weeks because it's incredibly hard to get back out there and be planting on your route breaks with consistency. And he came back in after that injury in the game, ran one route and immediately went off the field. So uh, they, they automatically very early in the week are saying he will not play on Sunday. So not a good sign from that standpoint. The question now becomes Andy, and I know you were, uh, trying to get the pulse of the people out there on Twitter early this morning. What What is the Giants' plan going to be here if you're, at the very least, without him for this week? And I would think that this is probably going to cost at least another, if not possibly three weeks, depending on how cautious they want to be with, with, with Shep. Well, yeah, getting ruled out this early in the week is never a good sign for the following week. Um, right. Usually when it gets up to game time decision, you're like, okay, next week we know we're going to have Shepard. So this looks, this turf toe looks like it's going to be a multi-week injury for uh, the New York, you know, for Stoning Shepard. Now, the, the real question is, which direction do the Giants really want to go with this wide receiving room? Um, you know, we have CJ Board there. We've got Damian Ratley. We've got Golden Tate. And we've got Darius Slayton. With, with Sterling Shepard moving out, we're going to have to sign another wide receiver. And really, you know, the question is more, do we want to go the Devontae Freeman route in terms of signing whoever the best veteran wide receiver is on the market? Or do we want to look internally and maybe say, there are guys that we liked in camp. Let's give them an opportunity and see if we find a diamond in the rough. 
Well, again, let's go back to, you really talk about the entire team overall, right? At a certain point, you look around, you deal with the losses of players, both on and off the field issues. You end up bringing in Logan Ryan, right? Veteran player to supplement the secondary. Barkley goes down with an injury. You could have stayed in-house and maybe looked to promote someone from the practice squad or bring in another young prospect. You go veteran route. So I think that Joe Judge and this coaching staff, especially with what we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, they've actually played pretty well here early in the season. They're looking to create more stability when you do this. So I personally might prefer that you look at a guy from the practice squad. We were high on some of them. Maybe at least give them a look here in week number three before you pull the trigger on one of those decisions. Because additionally, I thought CJ Board actually did play pretty well there last week when he was called into action, ran nice routes, looked pretty quick coming out of the breaks. I, I Maybe he can do some of the things that you expect from I would say now Golden Tate because now Golden Tate bumps up in the hierarchy as well. So it, it's a mixed bag. I always, I've always been a proponent of giving a young guy a shot, but I, I might think if I look at the recent history here that the Giants are going to go for a veteran and then try to solidify that receiving core. Well, the 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 path of re- least resistance is to reach back out to our good friend Corey Coleman and find out what he's up to. Um, you know, it, it seems like he was with them. Ink training camp was with them last year. He understands the system. He can step in tomorrow and mm-hmm. at least know, uh, you know, 75% of the route running, you know, and route tree that he needs to do in order, in order to fill in. That's one option. The other option is we talk about the practice squad and Alex Bachman is one of the guys that we really, you know, giant fans were excited about. The team was excited about in training camp said that he was making some crazy athletic catches so we kind of have that one side of it. If we want to go in-house, even though Corey Coleman's a free agent, I think both of them have a little bit of familiarity with the system. Now, if we want to go the veteran side, which is where you're kind of leaning, I'm kind of I don't I don't really know where the Giants will go because the ch- the challenge that we have is you know Sterling Shepard primarily plays in the slot. He can play a little bit outside, so you're not going to go out there and, and pick up a guy like Demarius Thomas who mm-hmm. is 32 years old, likes to play on the outside, has, has lost a step, doesn't really have that speed. You're not going to pick up a guy like Michael Crabtree, who's 33 years old and, and feels like his, his best years are behind him. So the question is, like, wh- where do you go from here? And I have two names that I'll throw at you. Um, you know, the first one is Justin Hardy of the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. You know, the Falcons have had such a crowded, crowded wide receiver room for the last couple of years um, that he really never got the full opportunity. You know, he's 28 years old. He's 5'10". He ran a 4'5'40". He's still a young enough guy where you could bring him in, but he's still got vet, you know veteran ability. He's someone that I would look at. And then on, on the converse side, the guy that I was banging a drum about during final roster cuts is Ryan Switzer, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. He is a slot guy. He is you know 25 years old. He He would fill in perfectly for what we need from a slot receiver on the Giants, especially if we need him for only a couple of weeks. He does have the ability to do kick returns and punt returns, even though Peppers has been great. Gives us a little bit more versatility there. Uh, You know, those are kind of the avenues that I would look at. I don't know if you like any of them in particular, if there's somewhere else you'd go at them. 
Yeah, and I, I do like at least your approach when you talk about, especially when you look to Atlanta and you say, hey, this guy may just be a product of not getting enough opportunities there uh, over the course of his time because there were so many talented players in front of him. The only thing is I just pulled up to try to get a reference here on him. When you talk about Justin Hardy, the, the problem you run into there, or at least potentially, is when you go back, even in small sample sizes, came into the league in 2015, his catch percentage rate, 58, 68, 69, 64, 73 in 2019. So you're just you're talking also about getting consistency and reliability there is probably the, the first thing that you want to make sure you're checking off in that regard. Likewise, though, when you think about a player like Switzer, as you mentioned, here's a guy that had a catch rate of 85, 81, and then just 72% last season where he only played in nine games. Now, let's be realistic here. If you want to get a, a you know true baseline on what this guy is, you can look at 2018 and say he was targeted 44 times, 36 receptions for 253, seven yards, and that was the 82% catch percentage rate. That's a big enough sample size that you can feel like, hey, I can hang my hat on this a little bit. Like you said, he's small, 5'8", so he's going to go into that slot position really well. I actually don't – out of those two, let's put it first and foremost, out of those two, I look at, at that Switzer one and I say that that actually might be a really nice a really nice option to bring in and take a flyer on. Like you said, maybe it's just for a week or two, and then you see about other guys you have on the roster. And, and if I compare him to, let's say, the familiar face in Coleman, I might rather go with a Switzer than a Coleman because I think that at the end of the preseason in the camp, you looked at the guys you have on your practice squad, all the young players and the guys that are on the starting roster, and you throw in CJ Board there, you throw in picking up Ratley. Those you looked at those guys as being better, as more valuable than a Coleman, right? So I, I don't need to dive back into that pool right now. And I know that maybe some Giants fans will say that's the easy one, the logical move is to bring back the guy that's been here for a couple of years. I actually like the Switzer one, uh, you know, and, and that's of course in lieu of maybe going with a guy we have down on the practice squad and elevating one of them. I know that you're high on some of those guys. Where do you land on it with your couple of recommendations? Would you prefer? one of those outside hires, so to speak, or would you want to go in-house if it's only going to be a week or two? And do you maybe do that? Sorry to, to belabor it. Do you maybe do that where you say, let's go in-house for a week or two, and then if we need to bring in a veteran, we can, because maybe you catch a spark here with one of these young guys. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I personally would like to see what we have with Alex Bachman. He got so much publicity during training camp. And of course, every single... Um, team loves their players more than everyone else's players like it's just it's just a, a habit you you get invested in these players you hear that they had an amazing day of training camp they ran really hard or they made that one-handed catch with no defense around you're like super excited about it but in this case like we like we said it's a one or two week short-term rental like if we get, bring him up and we promote him to, to the to the team and the and the active roster give him a week See if he can get in and make something happen. If he doesn't, you can bring him back down to the practice squad or you can drop him. Like, I think it's worth giving our, our guys that we're developing internally that have been around in training camp that are in these practices with the team. Like, to me, that seems like an easy way to go about this. If you're going to go the, the veteran route, then, you know, I honestly would probably go Corey Coleman just because he is familiar with the offense. And if you just want like the most safe Plug and play, play yeah. ever, where like he's not going to you know, show you anything that you didn't see in training camp, but it, you know, he's at least knows the system, knows the offense, knows where to be, knows run blocking protections. Like you can go the safe route. Th that, those are the options that, that I would go with externally. Give me the upside of someone like Ryan Switzer. I know people hate him because he's so small 
and he and he's very one dimensional in terms of like he has to play the slot. He can't play outside, but that's what we need. We need a slot wide receiver right now. We have, you know, I mean, Tate can come inside and out. I, I know that, but like, I, I don't know. May, maybe give him a shot. I, I'm I'm kind of all up all up on the in the air on this one, just because it's such a short term solution that we need. Because Tate's gonna, I mean, uh, Shepard's gonna be back in about a week or two. Yeah, that's maybe. Maybe that again. I guess going going with the guys on the roster, going down to the practice practice squad, and elevating a guy, it just means that you get a look at him, and maybe maybe you start to tweak the roster going forward, even when Shepard returns to say, "Hey, we could use this guy." Or worst case scenario, you just give someone a taste, and if it ends up say it ends up being two full weeks, guess what? You could call up a Bachman. And then you could say, okay, we're going to send you down again. And now the following week, we're going to go with the Benjamin Victor. We're going to go with, you know, we're going to take a look at a different guy. And maybe that's more to the point of, listen, any of these guys that we bring up, they're going to be obviously behind Slayton and behind Tate and behind Ingram and behind Lewis and behind even uh, Caden Smith, right? Like in terms of the hierarchy and the reps that you're going to get, it's going to be so few that then maybe that makes it even more worth it to say, let's just get a look at one of our young guys, give him a taste of the big leagues, right? Uh, so maybe that's that's the case there. The reason why I look at a Switzer, to your point too, is, is maybe he also brings you another element coming out of that slot with the quickness, is some of those end-around plays that we want to talk about, right? A little bit more dynamic from an offensive play-calling standpoint. But again, I probably I probably fall on the side of, of going young and going in house. We'll see how it shakes out. And you make you do make the fair and good point around Coleman, especially when you think back to a lack of traditional offseason, a lack of real training camp, preseason games. You're asking a lot maybe of a young guy that normally you would automatically say we're going to go that route as opposed to thinking that we're going to have to, you know, teach coach somebody up here literally on the fly. Give me Bachman. Give me Coleman. Probably both not very sexy or exciting for everybody, but at least we know what we're getting with them. And but to be honest with you, Adam, you, as you mentioned it, this is this is talking about depth on the active roster. Yeah. It's not necessarily jump in and start immediately like what we're expecting from Devonta Freeman when he comes in. Yeah, exactly. So moving along to kind of the last piece is we want to start thinking about the players that are going to be on the field and the players that have played in a couple of games and have shown flashes of brilliance or have been a little bit disappointing. You know, when we talk stock up, stock down for the New York Giants, where do you go with the stock up to start? Talking about, of course, we come out of week one, we say offensive line. What are we looking to have? You know, do we have a center? Is Hernandez playing okay? Thomas is developing, and that's great. What's going on with Zeitler? What can we expect? So one of the first things that we take a look at, too, and this is going to be a blend of just both the eye test percentages and then even, as we know, using some of that pro football focus reference, Nick Gates did look like he improved from week one to week two. So using the the pro football focus metric, he did only end up with a 58 overall though it was a 61.4 pass blocking but he only allowed pressure on 50 uh pass blocking uh, sorry one pressure on 50 pass blocking snaps so you know baseline right there for nick gates you say okay on 50 dropbacks for for daniel jones nick gates did his job all but one time that's a really big positive for again coming out of no preseason games this guy's literally changing positions on the fly feel good about that yeah, I, I like I like what I've seen from from Nick Gates. He's starting to settle in. Remember, that was his first game ever at center. You know, he didn't he didn't he hasn't grown up playing center. It's not like that's his normal position. It's taken him a little bit of time to get settled. It looks like he's settling in admirably. 
Um, you know, when we talk about another person stock up, you have to talk about James Bradbury. I mean, he was awesome on Sunday. And you know what? It, you know what? Sometimes the advanced analytics will tell you something different than what your eyes saw. Mm-hmm. What did the advanced analytics tell us about uh, Bradbury on Sunday, Adam? Yeah, he posted his single best career rating at 91.6 coming off this past week's performance in a game where he was targeted six times only allowed one catch for 14 yards he also had an interception and three pass deflections one of which is where julian love grabbed that ball which i requested for on twitter by the way guys i've always said this about giants fans if you ask for it on social media a lot of times they'll give it to you on game day so led to a julian love pick as well so his impact was obviously enormous we talked about it on monday down that sideline really just making an athletic veteran savvy interception there keeping himself inbounds plucking that ball away so this is everything that you wanted when you brought in Bradbury it was about saying we don't have to worry about that side of the field even if we know we're still thin there in the secondary so I absolutely loved what he gave us in this game and I, and I think coming out of week one where there was nothing nothing not to like but I also I just wanted to see right I want to see a couple of those flash plays that you like out of an elite corner week number two that's exactly what Bradbury did for us that interception, we highlighted it uh, on the recap show. Man, that interception was so exciting from Bradbury. He wasn't even facing the quarterback, didn't know where the ball was, she was face guarding guarding uh, the wide receiver, did not commit a penalty, still had the wherewithal and the awareness to know when the ball was coming down and just stole it right from his hands. And then afterwards had the athleticism to get down, still in bounds. That play to me was my favorite play for the whole entire weekend for the New York Giants. And it Mm -hmm. came from a guy that is really showing up to be a leader on defense. Makes me excited. Now, when we talk about uh, shoring up one side of the field, uh, sorry, Adam. Yeah. When we talk about shoring up one side of the field, Bradbury seems to have it. When we talk about stock down, what about the other half of the defensive side of the field? Yeah, unfortunately, and this is a hard spot for Ballantyne to be in. You know, he he's named the starter again in a very in a very slim camp. He goes out there, struggles week one, does struggle, continues to show some struggles there in week two. The upside here is that uh, Isaac Yadam, who we traded for off of Denver, he also looked to be struggling in week number one. However, looked a lot stronger in his performance in week number two. So now we're talking about, you know, only allowing one catch there for Yadam uh, for eight yards in the game, 36 defensive snaps for him. So he graded out well in run defense as well. Ballantyne continued to struggle. So it looks like that flip is coming here. When you talk about just a big picture, the Giants understood what now, I don't know what this is in terms of a referendum on Ballantyne overall, or it's just saying, Hey, you came off an injury last year. We played you inside. Let's test you outside. I think that it's fine to have him developing on your roster. You probably wouldn't ideally have thrust him into a starting role. That's why they made the move so quickly for Yadam. And it looks like he's going to probably, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him getting, if not the starting role right out of the gate this week, getting a significant more snap count by the time it's all said and done on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And it makes you think if we see another week of that, uh, we're going to probably have to go to the free agent wire and, and look who's available. You know, we brought Ross Cockrell in, in for a visit. I think Tremont Williams is still available. There's still some veterans out there that you could plug and play in and at least give you a little bit more on the, on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Because if, if Bradbury's doing his thing on the one side, and by the way, the defense as a whole has looked pretty darn good through two weeks. So like yes, we're sir. talking about just 
shoring up a couple of these little key areas that we need. And certainly cornerback, you know, cornerback number two is, is not necessarily a small area. Um, but yeah, I think we'll have to, the verdict is still out for me on whether or not Ballantyne is going to be a starting cornerback in this league. You know, it didn't look good last week and yet him probably it's verdict still had on him as well. If we're thinking about signing a veteran anywhere, I think it's going to be in the cornerback spot, knowing that we lost Baker and we lost Beal and, and Ballantyne is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking within the next week or so, we're probably going to see another cornerback come in. I don't know if, that, if, you feel, if you feel the same way. Yeah, again, it just looks like that's the way this team has trended, right? Evaluating young talent, but unlike, I don't say unlike years past, but there's clearly, I think that Joe Judge believes that this team can compete this year. That's why you're seeing veteran pickups happening. Freeman, that's why you brought in Logan Ryan. And and we, we talked about this on the front end, and I, I was a proponent of just saying, you go young this year, you live with the lumps, and you just try to, you know, you see what you have. Now, as you see what you have or don't have potentially, then I understand starting to make some of these moves. So uh, I, I believe that they look at it and say, we can still compete this year. And that's why you probably get back out there on the market. I know Prince of Mucamara has been thrown around as well. My, I, I always worry about guys that are up over 30, especially at the cornerback position, especially when they're coming off what look like kind of the, you know, tail end performance last season so you you just risk bringing in a guy that's maybe actually going to give you you know subpar play now will it be better than valentine certainly that's possible and, and then you also think about um you know what it takes away by having a player like that there right are, are you detracting from something else one of the notes obviously here as well in terms of we, we expected some roster moves to happen here cornerback ryan lewis got moved up from the practice squad into the active squad for the giants so that begs the question, is he going to get a look? Are they just going to start to rotate him in with Yadam and with Ballantyne and see then where Ballantyne falls down the hierarchy and, and whether maybe not Ryan Lewis is worthy of an opportunity? So again, this feels like on a week-to-week basis, the Giants are in a constant state of evaluation. And as they see things shake out, that's going to dictate the kind of moves that they're going to need to make. Uh We'll just to move move it along here. We'll say a couple of the other notables that I want to make sure we got to in terms of of the defense and offensive side of the ball. Uh, staying on the defensive side here for a moment, Logan Ryan played uh, 21 snaps at nickel over Darnay Holmes, who only played 18 in the game, and then Peppers also played 12 snaps down in the slot as well. Uh, now, Ryan, uh, Logan Ryan did allow three catches for 29 yards in there, while Holmes gave up five yards on one catch, and then Peppers allowing just uh, minus yards, actually, on the one catch that he allowed. So there was a mix and match again here in this past game to see how you can get uh, some quality play out. It looks like Darnay Holmes is another guy that's coming along there and starting to show some, some real value there in at the nickel, and hopefully you see those start to balance out. I think this defense is going to test the waters in a lot of different ways and then make the adjustments you know, as needed. And it feels like maybe Logan Ryan will be better suited to be flexing potentially at safety and then to the outside you know, as needed. But again, it's situational football. So down and distance and all that stuff is going to play a factor. Yeah, and I think we, we've established that the, the Nate Ebner um, playing safety situation is, is not something that's uh, a long-term solution for us. You know, he it is a shocker. special team superstar, but he did not look great while he was out there uh, on the defensive side of the ball. 
For sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how those play out and see if any other news comes out on that side of the ball. On the offensive side, a couple of the things that are really worth noting here. First with Evan Ingram, uh, obviously had a terrible performance in week one. We we beat him up. I beat him up a bit there. But he did have uh, the eighth best pass blocking grade among tight ends in week number two. So that's an incredibly positive sign. I think that Jason Garrett is scheming his way to success with Evan Ingram, and hopefully he is getting better in that regard. Week one was a really bad first look, and a new offensive system, and maybe it's shame on me for overreacting. There's a lot of past season weight that goes along with that perspective. So the fact that he looked a little bit better, that's obviously nice. And then secondarily, he also spent 35 snaps in the slot or out wide for the Giants and only 28 at the tight end position. So also what you can probably read into this is, did he play better? at tight end blocking he sure did also we asked you to do it far less than we did in week one yeah it, it, you know the, the key word is situationally then instead mm-hmm. of relying on him the entire time to be a, a you know pass uh, pass blocking run blocking machine we said let's sprinkle this in you know down in distance will dictate what, what we what you know where we're going to put you and how we're going to ask you to do things i love it if he's in the top half you know yeah. if he's in the top 15 <laughs> Okay, like that's that's a win. As long as he's in the top thirty, I'd almost even sign up for that. It's like, you know, that's how that's how uh, much of a concern that area was for us. So, yeah, excited about seeing that from Evan Ingram. They're moving him all around the field. Um, You got to be pleased with the bounce back that he had week two after what was, you know, unequivocally just a, a failure in week one, just across the board. And let's feather in the fact those 35 snaps in the slot are out wide. So you may have your answer about what the Giants look to do here at wide receiver. If they believe that they had enough success there and that Evan Ingram was comfortable enough. I talked about this on Twitter with a couple of people where they said, you know, Evan Ingram, great game. I said, you know, listen, I don't want to take away from it. You are also in a situation where the Chicago Bears were locking down the outside and saying, go ahead and take your little plays up the middle of the field here. Bottom line is he was still catching it, still helped moving the ball. So that may be in the short term, maybe we kind of rounded ourselves back into this, right, of maybe that's the solution here. Utilize Ingram in in some wide receiver looks here over the next week or possibly two until Sterling Shepard gets back. And that way you save yourself from maybe bringing in a veteran or making too many drastic moves that impact keeping or losing some of your young talent, whether it's on the active roster or down on the practice squad as well. Last two notes here. We touch back on the uh, offensive line briefly before we get into our most important, our most crucial member of the New York football giants. And that's of course going to be Daniel Jones, the offensive line. Zeitler played better, obviously in week number two, and the group as a whole allowed 15 pressures in week two against the Chicago bears. They had Quinn back miss week one. So it was a formidable front for Chicago and allowing just 15 pressures as opposed to the 20 that they were uh, assigned in week number one. So improvement, that's what you want to see on the offensive line. I don't care. I'm not going to go into the devil in the details of how many pressures were were attempted to be brought against them in week two versus week one. I'm just going to live on the fact that improvement across the line, and that was nice in front of Daniel Jones, who... This is my biggest my biggest takeaway here is going to be he was a significantly better passer on play action, 7 of 8, uh, than without play action, 18 of 32 overall in terms of his completions. I just think that, and then we talked about this in the offseason, everybody is wanting more of this. I think you need to work more of this into it. Now, if, if the offensive line plays better, that's what allows you to run play action. So hopefully they're stronger up front because the Giants are a stronger team when you get him into play action. 
Well, and, and it certainly doesn't help that Saquon Barkley not being there as a threat to yeah. the play action pass doesn't help as well. So, you know, you, you don't have the offense. You're worried about the offensive line giving enough time when you when you run play action. You don't have your dynamic, you know, all pro running back in Saquon Barkley back there. It's hard to commit to play action when you just want to make sure Daniel Jones has a clean pocket to be able to throw. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, we're going to highlight uh, on Friday's show when we do our predictions some of the different injuries that are coming from San Francisco. There's going to be a lot of changes across their defensive line, even on their offense, uh, in terms of how they normally attack people and, and you know, got to the Super Bowl last year. So it'll be interesting to see where people are landing around Friday when we do our predictions so we can decide, you know, where we think this team's going to go. Yeah, 100%. And that's obviously what we will do on the back end is we'll we'll look ahead to that matchup with the San Francisco 49ers, assuming they show up, you know, assuming they decide to play on that just unacceptable field turf there in uh, in New Jersey. It's still up up in the air. And by the way, just to uh, give you a little bit of a tease, they, there are some players there for 49ers that they may hold out who could potentially play, but are possibly going to hold out to avoid potentially aggravating injuries that exist. Sounds good. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah. much. Listen, guys, uh, take take the week off. It's against the New York Football Giants. We're an zero and two team. Easy win for you guys. You know, rest everybody. Rest all the starters. Don't risk it. Just don't risk it. Right? Don't risk it, friends. You, you, we. we Again, I care about player health and safety. That's my number one concern here. Exactly. Uh, you can follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast and hear all those tantalizing tidbits that Andy is getting into debates over with uh, with the rest of the Twitter sphere there. So follow us there. Uh, download, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And of course, tune in for us Monday. Wednesday, Friday, 8.30 a.m. on SportsCaster as we launch our big, beautiful faces. I don't know. Listen, you, I could ask Courtney. You could ask Kelly. Is it great to see our faces that early in the morning? Debatable. But the bottom line is it's the only ones you're going to get if you're looking for OGP. And as Andrew Makowitz would like you to know. As always, let's go Big Blue.